Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 437. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, you have something cooking. Who's talking? I have something cooking. Yeah. Um, we are going to talk about um, permission to parent. And it's actually... Sweetie, we don't need permission to parent. <laughs> it's uh, Dr. Robin Berman's book. Um, but we are going to pull from her podcast or actually her interview on the Goop podcast. So What does Goop stand for? So Gwyneth Paltrow has a website called Goop that she's had for a long time. She talks a lot about... Um, it's basically run entirely by women. It's about you know, nutrition, it's about parenting, it's about female, leadership, female empowerment. Yeah. And just overall wellness. And now she has a podcast and her first podcast was really, um, have a drink of water. I'm so thirsty. I just finished swimming. <laughs> yeah. It's in my ears. Sorry. Not in my ears. Not in my ears. So her first podcast, uh, like her, you know, her kickoff podcast was an interview with Oprah and it was excellent. Um, that's how we kind of got into it or I got into it cause, uh, someone on team Zen, um, I keep giving people, I keep saying the wrong person who introduced me to You're not attributing the correct person. Correct. But in this case, I know for sure it was Millie. Yay, Millie. Okay. So she introduced me to the Goop podcast. And then I kind of forgot about it and then came back to it uh, last week and listened to every single one that they had. Um, so this one is an interview with Dr. Robin Berman. Again, she wrote the book, uh, Permission to Parent. And I thought it would be... First of all, just breaking this down and the interview. Are you getting into the gist? Well, let me just. Because I have a quick take. Before you go into your quick take. Okay, just make, give some, give me some space for my quick take, sweetie. I will. The, the reason that I wanted to talk about this is because I think she does a really good job bringing together the elements that we're always trying to bring together on this show. What I mean by that is last week on Team Zen, we had a question about um, talking to our teenage kids about things that they're doing that we don't really either appreciate or we don't approve of. And there was a lot of discussion about, well, how do you maintain connection while also saying what you don't approve of or saying that this isn't okay in my house and that there is this place in between where we respect our children and we also respect ourselves. And I think that sometimes we, again, as we say on this dichot or on this show, we always live in this polarized place or this dichotomy where we're like, I'm either really overly kind and the pendulum is kind of like that, um, you know, I'm always nice and I never make my child uncomfortable or it's this other extreme of what we or our parents grew up with, which is children are to be seen and not heard. Drop the hammer. Right. Authoritarian. And there's this place in between that takes a lot of patience mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of presence because it's a dynamic that you have to get used to rather than a philosophy. And, you know, instead of being like, this is what I do in every situation, it's I'm going to do this and then see what happens. And then I'm going to do this. A lot of adjusting. Correct. Uh, yet um, what happens is we kind of get stuck in our way. Either we repeat the pattern that our parents gave to us or we go too far the other direction uh, only to find out that... Uh, the kid needs more structure, boundaries, Correct. consequences, whatever it is. Correct. And so that's what her book, Permission to Parent, is about, is it's got a lot to do with how we over-adjusted the way yeah. we were raised. Have you read the book? Um, you know what? I did not read the entire book. I, when there was a time, it came out last year, I think, and I was at the library with one of the girls, and I picked it up and I read through it, but I can't say that I brought it home and did my underlying like, mm -hmm. uh, like I normally do. So she was reintroduced to me on this podcast where I was like, yes, I love this message. Um, so you do your quick take. Okay, good. Uh, did you know that uh, Serena Williams is being punished for having a baby? What do you mean? So the French Open is coming up. Okay. Oh, we're taping this on Saturday, May 26th, but the podcast doesn't come out for three days. So I don't know when tennis, uh, the tournament begins, but because she had a baby, she um, is no longer being ranked. So I don't the, understand. Like, what's the connection? Her world rankings okay. have plummeted because she has not played tennis. Ah. The reason she hasn't played tennis is because... She's on maternity leave. She's had, she had a baby. Um, now what sucks about that for her is she, they base the seedings 
based on the world rankings and her ranking isn't high enough for her to be seated. So what that means is she is being penalized because she could basically, by the random luck of the draw, she could end up playing the best player in the world Mm. in the first round. Got it. Even though Serena, for all intent and purposes, everybody believed her a year ago, she was the the number one team uh, she was the number, ranked the number one player in the world. So um, there's kind of now they did the drawings and she kind of got luckily a favorable draw where she's not like getting the the, the best few mm-hmm. players in the first few rounds. But um, I thought it was interesting. And uh, I, there's a few quotes of some people that have said some things about it. Um, Serena Williams is a affordable athlete. She's the best ever and a loving new mother. Uh, no person should ever be penalized professionally for having a child. The World Tennis Association should change this rule immediately. Mm. And I just want to know if you had any thoughts, my darling. Well, I guess I would say I don't know what the statistics are with um, the level of tennis that Serena Williams plays at, how many of those women have had babies and then returned. Mm. I don't know what the statistic is, but this experience tells me... I'm guessing it's a minority. Correct. And this experience tells me that they haven't figured this out yet. Yes. And this is really where we are, you guys. This is this this, uh, messy place um, that we're in where when women are saying this doesn't work or I have the right to give birth to my baby and heal and then return to my job, what does that look like? Because right now the way we have it set up is we pretend that women don't have babies or if they do, that they're no longer returning or we base everything around the way a man... They need to adjust. ...plays a sport. They need to adjust the rules. Correct. A little bit. And, And unfortunately, you have to have this experience to make the adjustment. So can we speak out about this? Yes, but do we need to get super angry mm-hmm. maybe we can just speak up and and say this needs to change yeah. rather than people are horrible so that was my quick take i do want to give a promo for team zen uh team zen is a subscription that you as a listener can get involved in we're actually running a special right now where you get the first month free and basically what happens is kathy and i do these virtual calls twice a month now you don't have to be on the calls to watch them but you can participate them if you want to participate in them participate in them you can ask questions kathy and i answer and then actually some of the other team members say hey i had this experience with my kid and this is what i did uh, and then there's also this Facebook community that is uh, a private one only to Team Zen people. And it's really just in the last few weeks, it's picked up steam mm-hmm. where everybody's sharing, everybody's supporting one another. Um, it's really something special. Kathy and I are very proud of this. Uh, there's a lot of other things that go into it. You get 10% off of everything in our Zen store and everything else. Um, so we have one coming up this Friday. We have a, t- a Zen talk. And I think the reason Todd says we're proud of it is because it's really one of those communities where you get to decide. There are some people that just like getting the extra podcast. They mm. don't show up live, but they like listening to the extra podcast. There are some people that are really active on the Facebook page and love participating on the live Zen talks and love asking questions. And then there's people in between. So there's no expectation, but at the same time, you get to pick and choose. And there are people who have been part of it for six months who are right now asking their first questions. So I just feel like it's a really safe environment. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of you who feel like you need community, maybe you live in an environment where you don't feel like you're connected to a lot of people who think similarly to you, here you've got this opportunity to be with all of these people from all over the country and international for that matter. And um, Todd and I feel really just personally very um, connected to this community because we're all speaking the same language. For sure. So, um, and there's actually a private podcast app that comes with it as well. So a lot of cool things. That's just scraping the surface. But if you're interested, go to uh, zenparentingradio.com and click on the Join Team Zen. So we'd love to have you. And one more thing I want to say about it is there's like a group... um, Team Zen really wants to focus on doing some kindness activities this summer. Um, we've talked about taking some action around things. Um, if it be something in your own community or more um, globally or in our country, and then we've also um, the there are some teams that have formed. Yeah, we formed some triads where three people, usually moms, but there's a few dads in there, and they get together once a month, twice a month, and just uh, virtually, virtually um, on a Zoom talk or a Google Hangout. So it's just like an enhanced version of what you and I are do- doing twice a month. So it's pretty cool. So if you have any questions, shoot me an email at Todd at ZenParentingRadio.com.
So that's the deal. So should we jump in with this first clip or do you want to set it up? Let me set it up a little bit. So again, uh, Dr. Robin Berman, her book is Permission to Parent. Um, this podcast is Goop. Um, what they're talking about, and the person, it's actually not Gwyneth Paltrow who is doing the interviewing. It's a woman named Elise who is the one who does most of the interviewing um, on the, this podcast. And basically they're talking about the concept of reparenting ourselves, okay? So what does reparenting ourselves means? It means that sometimes we at our age, you know, this anywhere between 30 and, you know, 60, we are maybe still struggling with what we feel we didn't get in our own childhood. And because we haven't come full circle with it or we haven't been self-aware enough to notice what we didn't get, we tend to stay stuck in a pattern. And the pattern either looks like our own anger and frustration and lack of forgiveness for others or even worse ourselves, or we're stuck in a parenting cycle where we're just doing the same thing our parents did without recognizing that maybe it's harmful or it's causing a, you know, a massive amount of disconnection between ourselves and our kids. So reparenting is a word that she often uses. But um, in this first clip that Todd's going to play, it's really about how connection, and this is what we talk about on the show all the time, is really the key to helping our children grow. So go ahead and play that childhood. <laughs> you know, but the truth is now we have neuroscience that backs up Freud, which is that as you're, you were the only species that comes with an undeveloped brain. Mm -hmm. So you come in, you've got that little soft spot, your skull is making room for the brain to explode in those first three years. And how does the brain grow? It grows on love. Mm -hmm. Everybody's brain grows on love. Mm. And you can literally see it now on scans that when people are well-loved in parenting, their, their brain grows bigger and better and more connected, which totally makes sense because they're in growth mode, not in stress protection mode. So from the, from the way humans are designed, at the core we're designed to love. So when you have a mom or a dad or two moms or two dads who look at you with that love in your eyes and that sparkle and they, you're, they're cooing at their baby and they're, and they're connected and they're responsive and, and that, that forms an integrated healthy brain. So then that kind of the lucky kid club won that and, and has an easier time passing it down and... There we go. Okay, so she goes on to say, um, to say that, okay, so you guys get that, that when children are developing, how does their brain develop? It develops healthy through love, means the healthiest brains are the ones that have been loved. You know, the, it starts really young when you're just like rubbing a baby's head mm. or when you're looking in their eyes. It's not about the words you use. It's about the connection. And then as they get older, it's it then starts to be when they start to understand verbalization, you know, the words that you use with them, your patience with them, your connection to them, your willingness to stay there even when they're not in a good mood. So as they're when they're young, they can't understand words. So forget about that. Right. I mean, although the intention behind like singing a song sure. to an infant helps, obviously. Tone. But yeah, tone. Uh, but then as you get older, you can expand on whatever the type of language of love you can use. It reminds me of that story. I know you're, you weren't done talking, but that story in the 1940s, all those babies started dying and it's because they realized that Failure to thrive. nobody picked them up and, and all that, even though they physically were had everything they need. They had food, they had water, they had milk, whatever. And they... They didn't. It's like love is like the way the flowers need sun, mm. um, meaning the love from human to human or person to person um, or even, you know, mammals like living things. It requires love like we could call the sun love. Mm -hmm. You know, it requires that sense of warmth and connection. Now, here's what's most important, though, is a lot of times people say, well, that's in the first three years. No, this continues on. Our brains are always developing. Our brains are neuroplastic. Our, our brains always have the capacity to move, shake, and grow, you know? So this connection that we're talking about continues on. So when you have a teenager who you're struggling with, connection still helps them grow their brain and helps them with their own emotional response and helps them feel like they belong. So this doesn't just end after year three. Right, and it's a little paradoxical in that because the teenagers are also trying to separate Right. From you, which is healthy, which is what they're supposed to do, yet at the same. So 
what we can't do as parents is throw our hands up in the air and say, oh, well, they're just separating, so I don't need to show them love in whatever language they choose to receive it. You have to keep doing it. This is the gray area in between where, of course, we have to understand child development and that teenagers or even three-year-olds, for that matter, or young adults or adolescents need to have their own lives and separate from us somewhat. Like, you know, a kid that wants to hang out with us when they're eight doesn't necessarily want to hang out with, uh, with us when they're 12. And that's not something we need to fight against or make them feel ashamed of. That's a very normal child developmental pattern. Yeah. But then within that, we still have to learn how to connect to them within that. So if they are going to be gone all day with their friends, when they get home, are you there to say, did you have a good time? Or tell me about what you did? Or, you know, making sure at night you go in and say good night or in the morning having breakfast with them. Like we still have to find the times for connection because they need it. And not only do they need it, we need it. Like this is the thing about parenting too, is we thrive on that kind of connection thr- with our you kids. You thrive on receiving love. Yes. And I would say you thrive as much, if not more, by giving it. By giving it. Because exactly. you get outside of your own head, you get outside of your own way, you get outside of your woe is me victim mentality that we all struggle from at one time or another. The best, the quickest path towards healing or getting out of a funk is to give somebody something. Correct. You know? Now, and here's the core of this book. This is where this book has so many layers because she's talking about this in terms of how we parent our kids, but we have to remember there's a possibility we didn't get this when we were young. So we have to be conscious of that there's, there is a possibility that we got some things were missed in our own childhood and that we not only need to be aware of it, but we need to recognize that we can do some healing around it. This is what self-awareness is. The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Because if you don't understand your lack, you pass on the lack. If you don't understand why you're impatient, you're just impatient with everybody. And there's no sense of reckoning with yourself. And that's what she talks about. Sweetie, what happens when you squeeze an orange? The the orange juice comes out. Right. So you cannot disperse what you don't have in you. To Todd's point, a lot of us are like, oh, I want to be love. I'm loving. But we're filled with anger. If you squeeze us, then anger comes out. You have to deal and And, reckon with that anger. And I'm not smart enough to explain that scientifically, but that's... I'm sure some smart scientists can. Like, you cannot give out what you don't have inside of you. And is it even science or is it just common sense? Both, but some smarty farties like science. (laughs) I know. You know what I mean? Well, and this is why I really like this interview and why I like Dr. Berman and why I thought her book was really interesting is because... You know, she is using, as as I think the best clinicians do, the most current research and not only using it to just have a better understanding, but she's using it in her own treatment. And she's finding that really nuanced place, that in-between place where we don't we don't, you know, fly from one extreme to the other. We don't say, oh, well, I was parented by an authoritarian parent, so I'm only going to be nice to my kid and I'm going to let them have whatever they want. And if they fall, I'm going to pick them up and I'm not going to let them hurt. That is too extreme. Because that's also delivering the bags that your kid, your parents gave to you. Exactly. That- just, it's like the opposite baggage, but it's still baggage. It's still a lack of reckoning with what happened. Yeah. There's, there's, so how do you reckon what happened? Well, you, you know, that's what she calls reparenting is that we have to take responsibility. This is, you know, this is our eighth year talking about this, you know, on Zen Parenting Radio. We have to take responsibility for our own challenges and we have to recognize that how we talk to ourselves, how we treat ourselves, our own trauma, our own wounds, our own issues that we're unwilling to look at or that we decide to numb all the time or that we're unwilling to ask help for, we then pass those on. And we pass them on through conversation, frustration with our kids, with an unwillingness to recognize why they frustrate us, that we think it's all them and that has nothing to do with us. Mm. We don't take responsibility for our own energy. And one of the most important parts of parenting is recognizing what you're bringing in the first place. You are half of that relationship. So you can't go into a relationship, or you can, people do it all the time, but if you go into a relationship and you are unaware of yourself and what you're bringing, you're going to constantly blame the other person for your discomfort. You're going to say, you are the one who causes me pain. You are the black sheep in the family. If you would only do this, I would be okay. And we don't take our experience into account. We kind of did an emergency, not an emergency, but a spontaneous Zen talk last Mm -hmm. week because if you listeners had some troubles with their 16 year old and 18 year old. And we talked a little bit about how, um, we need to, uh, meet, 
strike the balance that you're talking about. And it is hard to strike that balance because you can let yourself get walked on and you can then also on the opposite side of that, you know, push and control and you don't get anywhere there either. It's finding that place. It's the gray. So here's the example we talked about on the the Team Zen Zen talk. You know, when say we have a teenage kid who's like doing things that we have set limits around and they're, you know, overstepping the limits, we have to be able to show up and say, you are disrespecting me in this process. I have enough self-respect. I have enough, um, you know, love for myself and love for you that I don't want this relationship to continue this way. That when you are doing this, it's not about, I'm just going to take away your phone and hope that I deal with this like surface level of behavior. I'm going to go to the core of it. Mm -hmm. Why? let's talk about this limit that we created and why it's not working for you. And let me tell you that when you disrespect me or when you are overstepping, how it harms me too. And how we're going to have to come up with a different agreement. Correct. Which may mean that it comes with some consequences. Correct. And this is where parents get confused because they'll be like, tell me what to do and what to say and I'll do it. The first shift is the conversation. You've got to shift the dynamic of... I know you want your freedom and I want to support you in that, but you can't come home at two in the morning because what ends up happening is I'm up worrying about you. So that causes me pain. So within this relationship, then you are inflicting, there's a disrespect going back and forth, you know, that you're giving to me. So we have to understand that if, if you're going to be late, it is it is your responsibility to be in touch with me. Okay. And I'm getting into very specifics here, but my point is, is that conversation will then create a new dynamic and then we deal with that. Right. And then it'll create another dynamic and then we deal with that. There's not a... I think a lot of us get stuck in like my kid, let's say whatever, it's a 15 year old girl who continues to be unkind towards her parents or her siblings or coming home late or whatever. And I think as parents, we tend to get into this funk of the kid does something that she's not allowed to do. We get mad, start Uh screaming. Mm -hmm. She screams back or withdraws. Mm -hmm. We scream back, we withdraw. And then a week later, the same thing happens. Yes, And And then the same thing happens. And then we scream louder. And then, so what I want to tell our listeners is just mix up the dynamic. And what I I said to uh, somebody I was coaching the other day is... Do the opposite of what you think you would do. That might not be the correct answer, but change the the energy, change uh, the perspective. You know, instead of yelling, maybe you get quiet, or in, maybe you um, try to bring some levity to it through some humor, and maybe you tell a story about how you got in trouble when you were a kid. Like I don't know what the answer is, but just do something different. Because sometimes these experiences with our children sends us back into child, and so we become very easily offended by our children's behavior where we look at it as some kind of slight on us. Like, how dare you do that to me? When really the child is doing, they're branching out and they may not be making great choices and they may need some serious parenting around Mm. their choices, but we take it so personally. They are doing it to themselves. They're not doing it to us as parents. They are separate individuals and that doesn't mean we let them do whatever they want, but it means don't don't bring an extra layer of crap to it. Correct. This is their life. They're going to have to negotiate through the consequences, whether it be at school or with parents. But it's they're not they're not personally trying to attack you. Right. And this starts very early when we talk about, oh, my three-year-old is manipulating me. My seven-year-old is trying to drive me crazy. We create this story around that our children wake up in the morning and like rub their hands together and say, how can I make my parents' life miserable? That's not really what children are trying to do. What children are trying to do is what every human being is trying to do, communicate, connect, feel like they belong, understand who they are. Navigate through their own life. And create a relationship. And sometimes if they don't feel like there's a natural in in a positive way, they'll find an in through a negative way. Mm. That's not something that we then go, oh, I'm horrible. I'm going to blame myself. That's the reparenting piece is we're going to get into this in a minute when we play another clip, but we have to be, we have, the reason we have to go back in time and recognize how we were parented and then who we are and take responsibility for ourselves is so we can show up as a parent mm. and not show up as a 13 year old yeah. and not show up as a fearful two year old. You got to stay either above it or outside of it. Cause the minute that you're in it with them, 
you're not doing yourself or your kid any favors. So there's a way to parent while still maintaining connection. There is a way to maintain connection even when your child is annoyed at you that you have a consequence or you have a certain stress. Like I'm, I'm just going to use a really like simple one because this isn't super serious, but I put things on the, um, you know, I clean up the house, bring things together and put them on the, our stairs. So my children can take them upstairs. My children sometimes just walk over the things on the stairs and they just go right past it. They pay no mind to it sometimes. And I'll say, girls, stop. Take your stuff upstairs. That's why it's there. This is your stuff and your responsibility. And I'm very clear in my mind. I'm not like, ooh, is this the right thing to say? Is this the right thing to do? This is your stuff. There's no reason that I should be cleaning up your stuff. So it makes it very... Do you see how I'm clear in what I'm asking them to do? Mm -hmm. So then I can be very clear. And matter of fact. And matter of fact. And so are they annoyed that they have to then go back down the stairs and pick it up? Yes. But I'm not like, oh no, I'm disconnected from them. This is part of being a responsible human. Mm -hmm. You pick up your stuff or, you know, like the girls now we're into summer. Happy summer, everybody. Not everybody. I know Chicago Public School still has a couple weeks and other communities do too, but we started summer. The girls have, as they do throughout the year, but a little heightened expectations around the house because there's more time. They have, you know, I don't really love the word chores, but responsibilities. They are part of a community in this house. So they have to do some things. Are they annoyed sometimes when they're like, no, can I do it tomorrow? No, this is your responsibility. You do it. And so do you see how holding firm to limits isn't disconnection? If you're clear about that, it is in their best interest to hold that responsibility because that teaches... The thing is, is kids want that feeling. Don't all humans, when you have a really like, I completed something you know, I did this or I held firm to what I needed to do. That feels good. Now within that, people will take that. They can get annoyed and deep down, it feels good. Kids want limits. They need them. Kids want them and they need them. And, you know, I'm sure there's people being like, well, my kid doesn't. He or she wants to do anything they want. Yes, there's a part of their brain that does want anything that they want in that moment. But there's another part of their brain, I don't know which part, that wants to have these boundaries because I think it makes them feel safe and safe and loved, don't you think? Of course. And because all humans do, we all want boundaries. We all want to have a feeling of these are the things I live within mm-hmm. that keep me safe. Yeah. And as, it's like a grounding It thing. is. As adults, we create our own. Yeah. And some of them go way too far where yeah. we're like, I have to go to bed by 9 p.m. or else I'm uh, and I have to work out every day and I have to break a sweat. And I, some of them are way too... Yeah. This is why, you know... This is why I love this show and why I, even though I love writing, I appreciate this discussion over writing a blog or writing this in a book because it's so nuanced. Because I could say the exact opposite thing if it came to something like exercise. Like, you know, someone may say, well, I exercise every day and I meditate every day. And I might say, take a day off. Mm -hmm. And then someone will say, but I'm being irresponsible. Actually, it's okay to occasionally like give yourself a break and relax and create a limit around I'm not going to over I'm not going to, you know, overdo it. Like I'm not going to put so much pressure on myself that I then have this form of it almost comes into this self-hatred like where I if I don't do this I'm not worthy. Well, I have an example that might push back on what you're saying. Okay. I've been meatless. I haven't eaten meat since April of 2017 and as we record this we're in May of 2018 and I just know for a fact just my personality type. And and this might be a self-awareness thing. If I ate a steak tomorrow, you know, because sometimes friends or my daughter who loves hamburgers said, Dad, when are you going to come back to the meat eating side mm-hmm. of life? And I just know that if I ate a steak tomorrow, I'd be much more likely to eat a steak next week. So for me, I know that that the minute I put my toe into that gray area, I'm much more likely to move in a direction I don't want to go in. But that, and I agree with that, like meaning that is, that's your truth. And you're like, this is the way it is, but it's, it's that case with meat. But let's say it was around something else. Let's say, say you were decided, you know, I'm not going to, you don't really drink that much alcohol anymore, but I'm not going to drink that much alcohol. You know, I'm not going to drink. And then you had a glass of wine one night. Would you be like, oh, now every night I'm going to have a glass of wine. You don't have it around everything. And that's the thing is we become very, sometimes our structure is overstructured. Yes. Where we become so like, this is my rule for everything. Yeah. And this is what self-awareness is, is the ebb and the flow. It is this 
it's paradox. It's not always the same. It's in instead of mind creation of boxes and limits, it's feeling your way through life. And so, and oftentimes we need both. Yeah, you know, like we, it's. It's all okay, but when it doesn't become okay is when we start to feel bad about ourselves, when we start to push our limits so far that we get sick. I actually just wrote something um, the other day about, you know, I love positive quotes, you know, that are like, you know, your comfort zone is outside these limits and you're, they can be helpful sometimes, but you know what? Sometimes your comfort zone is your comfort zone. <laughs> sometimes it's important to live inside your comfort yes. zone. And other times it's important to step outside of your comfort zone. Because sometimes when I push too far, I get a headache or I get tired and that's not good. That's not like, well, that's what you do. Sometimes you have to listen to your body and say, no. It's kind of like with cleanses. Yes. We've done one cleanse. (laughs) We were done. We each got headaches really bad because your body is used to whatever, having caffeine Caffeine, or pop or sugar. And then all of a sudden we did this like pretty strict seven day cleanse where we basically eat nothing. It was 21 days. No, we didn't do 21 days. Yeah, we did. No. There's not a seven day cleanse. There's there's two day cleanses. There's every type of cleanse. I, maybe we went two weeks. There's no way we yeah. went three weeks on this sucker. But regardless, the point is, um, it was to our detriment. And you know, it was weird. By the end of the cleanse, I'd have like a half a bag of almonds, and I was full. <laughs> it is weird how it, I don't know if you could say it was to our detriment. It didn't hurt us. It didn't hurt. Well, it hurt me. I had a headache for three days. Right. But then a lot of healers would say, or people would say, well, you, that was the toxicity coming out of your body. Right. Or like, what is that better? Or is is it better to start eating a little bit more mindfully, eat a little bit healthier, exercise a little bit more, as opposed to go from cheese fries, Dr. Peppers, and beer to a cleanse. Correct. So here's, this is a really good discussion because I I think what Todd's trying to say is he doesn't appreciate cleanses anymore. If you like them, great. This is not a cleanses aren't right. This is what feels right Right to to you. And why this is so important, this goes back to the reparenting thing, because one of the things that she discusses in this podcast, which we're not going to play this clip, but she talks about how sometimes when we grow up with a, in a family, we have what's called group think, where we all kind of believe that if we don't think the same way our parents do, that they will not approve of us. Mm. And so we kind of take on this family belief system. We all know this around things like, you know, uh, politics or sure. around religion, and we get very caught up. In, and I hear this from my friends. They'll say, oh, I don't go to church anymore, but my family does, so I have to get my kids confirmed, mm. which if you step outside of it for a minute. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it in a big picture, but it kind of doesn't make sense. If it's not your world anymore, then you're and you're just doing it for other people, then it's okay. Again, it's not me criticizing it, but you can you at least recognize you're just doing it for other people. I have a wonderful example. Okay. Two role models. Okay. Steve and Elise Keaton. Okay. You know who they are? I do. Who are they? Family ties. Right. And what was their political leaning? They were very liberal, progressive. Yeah, like he worked at a NPR type uh-huh. public television station, uh-huh. and Alex P. Keaton had a big poster of Ronald Reagan on his wall. So their son was very conservative, right? So there was no group think in that. Yes. They created the space for Alex, who I loved. Alex is one of my favorite TV characters of all time, you probably because Michael J. Fox was so awesome. He's awesome in almost anything he did. But anyways, um, yeah, role model. Even though it's a fake fantasy role model. Because it's fictional characters, you know, I role model model myself after Steve and Elise Keaton. Well, and and it makes it kind of, that's what conversation, it becomes interesting, you know, like where your children say, like my daughter, my daughter who's going to, she just finished her freshman year, she's taken enough classes, now her English class, her literacy class, and her world studies class, where she has some opinions, some pretty good, great opinions, interesting opinions about the way the world is working and about literature and about things that are, you know, important to focus on. And she has a really big, um, she has a much better understanding of the environment and what we should be doing. And she shares these thoughts all the time. And a lot of it, I don't even know what she's talking about, meaning she knows more than I do. She's getting smarter than we are, which is awesome. And, but I listen without being like, well, wait a second, or mm-hmm. needing to be like the authority. Yeah. Like she can be learn, the authority. Learn from your kids. I can learn Before from we her. get to the next clip, can I play a quick? Do you want to sing? No. I bet we've been together for a million years. 
such a great show. It is. I, I love loved that show. That show. Um, so let me. So we've bring done this one out circle. of three, and we're thirty six minutes. I in. know it's okay. Um, let me bring this thought full circle. One of the examples I just gave um, about, like you know, doing things for other people. First of all, let me say, even within that example, like the, you know, talking about getting our kids confirmed or having them go through a church, even though we don't, but we do it for other people, that may be a well thought out decision, meaning that's not always the wrong decision. We may say, you know what, what's most important to me is that my children have this and that my parents get to experience, you know, like that's not always the wrong decision. But have we thought through that or yeah. are we on autopilot? Or are you doing it from a place of fear Correct. where you don't want to upset your parents, even though you're now a 35-year-old man or woman? That's the example that I'm trying to use is that, again, it's not about right or wrong. I think it's all beautiful. Yeah, as long as you're you're coming at it from a 35-year-old perspective versus you still think you're seven years old and you got to do everything to please your parents. And that if you disagree with them, that you're somehow not valuable. And this is the, this is the pendulum because some people I know go the opposite and they'll leap at any opportunity to do anything to piss off their parents. And that's not good either. That's not good either. That's when it's, when we say it's not good, it's not the healthiest thing to do. There's this place in between where we recognize ourselves as our own people and that we can have compassion and respect for what our parents believe while simultaneously having respect for what we believe. Like Christmas traditions, everything, yeah. or like Mother's Day, you had something, there's a, somebody on Team Zen, they're like, oh, Mother's Day, I don't know what to do because my mom wants to do this. And by, and what, do you remember what you wrote on that Facebook post, your reply? I wrote, claim the day. Do your if day. If you want to claim right. the day. No, and what you said was, I took my mom out to lunch on, on Friday Thursday, or yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. and... I saw my sister and my aunt the weekend before. Yeah. I, you know, I had a gift for my friend that I was going to see the next weekend. So Mother's Day, the actual day then was my day. Right. And, and, and some people out there be like, you're nuts because I can't, I cannot disappoint my mom. Right. Forgetting the fact that you are a mom. And, and forgetting the fact that then you're disappointing yourself. Right. So it's finding that in between. And sometimes, just like the first story we started with Serena Williams, sometimes the initially changing this can be messy. The first year you say, we're going to do our own tradition. It can be difficult. The first time that you say, you know what, I'm going to do this instead of that. So how do you know if you're in your 35-year-old brain or for you and I, our 46-year-old brain, and we're not in our 11-year-old brain as it relates to our parents? How do you How do you know? Well, and I don't know if you always do know. I think sometimes you know after the fact, but I think the practice of recognizing how do I really feel about this, because a lot of times it's it's when we feel stressed, when we feel pressured, when we feel forced, when we feel like we don't have a say, all of those feel like childhood, right? Yeah. So right there, you don't feel like you have, and I'm not saying because childhood is bad, but when you're a child, we were just watching John Mulaney's stand-up, um, it's called Kid Gorgeous, it's on Netflix, but one of the things he says is how when he went to church as a five-year-old and people would, people now say to him, why? Why did you go to church as a five-year-old? And he's like, as a five-year-old, I did everything my parents wanted me to do because I had no choices. You know, like that's what you do when you're five. You go wherever they go. Like this is, but when you are an adult, then you have more say about, is this for me? It doesn't mean you have to talk your parents out of going to church. And I'm using church as an example because mm. John Mulaney did. It doesn't mean you have to demonstrate to them why you're right and they're wrong. You just say, I honor what you're doing and I'm going to choose something else. And that could be with our parenting. That could be with where we live, how we live. Um, but I think what we do is we we embrace something for ourselves and then we look around at our parents and everyone else and say, now everyone else needs to embrace what I embrace. Yep. And that's not the case. Yeah. You can respect what your parents do and love them. You don't have to throw them under the bus. You don't have to make them wrong. You just need to honor who you are at the same time time. Yeah. Um, what I, as we move to the second clip, yes. what I was going to say is like, cause I asked you a question, like, how do you tell if you're in 45 year old mode or seven year old mode? And what I'm slowly starting to learn is body awareness yes, is huge. really good. So what do you mean by body awareness? Like, how are you feeling in your body? Are you tense? Are your shoulders tense? Are you breathing with, um, shallow and quick, or are you in more of a calm, deep breath place? Like your body will tell you the truth mm-hmm. before your brain ever does. But that's something that I struggle with. Like I'm slowly trying to build up a meditation practice because if I could do it for 10 minutes or 15 minutes in the morning, then maybe I can cultivate it for like, you know, 
30 seconds in the middle of the day, but that's the muscle that we always talk about having to build. So, yeah. Anyways. And sometimes our brain is trying to protect us, meaning when we were children, we would often have body awareness about things that didn't feel right or that we didn't appreciate. But because we were children, we couldn't change it. Yeah. And so our brain protected us and set up, you know, thought systems around, well, this must be the right thing to do then. And then we get older and we do have choices now, but our thinking system is still trying to protect us from something that's not happening anymore. Yeah. So, um, go on to the next one. That's All right, and about... you had, it's called stuck. Okay, I don't remember. So play it and let's see what they say. Let's see what she says. That she, you know, they say anger to, you know, digs two graves. She just stayed stuck recycling those stories. She got so stuck in her story. It's like end your story, start your life. You mm-hmm. know, people just play their stories. Mm-hmm. They run their stories like an obsessive loop in their brain that needs to be given some love. Mm-hmm. and some boundary. Oh, I am not them. I'm going to choose to do it differently. I'm going to choose a different kind of relationship. But it starts with self-love. Yeah. It starts there. It's true. And it's like... There we go. So what she was talking about there was some... Oftentimes we have a very victim mentality. If you can't forgive yourself and you can't forgive your parents, then you're just a victim. Mm-hmm. You're a victim of circumstance where you feel like you're just being like thrown around in the world without any grounding in yourself. And she, the story she told before that, you know, she started in on that story was a woman that she was treating, uh, one of her clients who was 70 years old and her mom passed away. You know, her mom was like 90 and the 70 year old woman went to her mom's funeral and didn't shed a tear. And, you know, Dr. Berman was like, why didn't you shed a tear? And she's like, I'm just still so angry with my mom. Mm. This woman's 70 years old. And this is not I'm shaming that woman for feeling that way. It's give yourself permission as uh, this. Sorry. Yikes. This language, this word gets so overused. It reminds me of triggers, but I'm going to use it anyway because it works really well. Unpack that. Yeah. Start to... You know, start I love to, those words, by the way. Do you like the word unpack? I love, I, I love, yeah, I do. It, you know what? Because there's a lot there. There's a lot there's there. There's a lot there. It's dense. And it's just not one thing that's going to, it's like layers of stuff. Yes. Like when you're unpacking a suitcase and there's like shoes on the top, first you got to take the shoes out. Like what is it that you're not letting go of? How have you not forgiven your childhood? Uh, You know, what happened in your childhood? How have you not forgiven yourself? How, not how have you not in a, how dare you, but why? And, And why do you stay stuck? And if you are stuck, can you ask for help? to start unpacking that because it is possible. And then when you start to unpack it, what you find is freedom. Then the feelings that you have in your body around, I want to do this, I want to do that, you honor it instead of say, I can't because I'm stuck. Well, and I don't know if this will serve or not, but whenever I think of unpacking uh, in, in this emotional sense that we're referring to is, you know, and it takes a while. It's not, this is not something, this is not a five minute conversation with your loved one. This is, you know, if, if it is truly something that has to get quote unquote unpacked, it's going to take a little bit, but when you do actually, you know, and I'm going to use another term that I love that you may not like unzip, basically get vulnerable, right? uh, Open up, open Mm -hmm. up a little bit. Um, when you're unpacked and all this crap is laying on your bed, (laughs) you get to sift through it and then you get to throw away what no longer works for you. And then you get to keep the stuff that does because like talk about your parents, like to unpack your relationship with your parents my guess is if you're a normal person, there's a lot of good stuff in there and there might be some bad stuff in there. And you know what? None of us get out of our childhood. Even Todd and, my, and, and I, who have, we focus on this in our personal lives, our professional lives, our children are going to come out of this family yeah, and get baggage. into an adulthood with stuff. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I can't even guess because obviously I'm doing my best to not give them my stuff. Yeah. But we, all of us, even if we have an amazing childhood or a, a trauma, you know, we're always going to have trauma, but no excuse excessive trauma, Mm -hmm. there's going to be things that were missed and not because people didn't love us, but because we're human. And, and those are the kind of things we look at. You know, I'll give you guys a very simple example about it's a mixture of childhood stuff and groupthink. 
to an example that I brought up to Todd yesterday that was really basic, but it can help you understand this, is Todd and I, one thing that she, Dr. Berman says on this show is that when you marry somebody or when you partner with someone, you partner and marry their childhood. Mm. So we've married each other's childhoods. It's mm. just kind of the nature of being yeah, with someone, right? you can't get around that. You can't get around it. So I said to Todd, I go, what you married in me, and again, it's a, it's a long list, but you married in me that uh, white cars are the best cars to buy, because my dad always said, get a white car. And what I married in you is you shouldn't come home after school and be in the 330 club because then you're a lazy kid and you're not doing anything. Right. Those are just one very minute example of yeah. things that I was I taught. Don't you have to be active after school. You were taught buy a white car. Why these are good things to, to have a conversation about is they're non-threatening, yeah. right? And neither of us feel threatened about those things. But why it's important and it, and it lends itself well is the self-awareness of, is it true that I have to buy a white car. It absolutely is not true, but I can still respect why my dad did. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not aware of the fact that it's okay to buy any color car, whenever my whenever Todd would say, well, I'm not going to buy a white car, I would almost feel like he was offending my father. Yeah. Like I'd say, no, why are we getting another white? We don't need a white car. So Kathy would not receive that as a 40-year-old woman or a 35-year-old woman. You receive that as an eight-year-old girl who- Loves her dad. Loves her dad. Who thinks her dad's really smart. And the reason, by the way, out of respect of John Cassani, the reason he wanted everybody to get a white car is if there's ever any damage to it, you can easily match it. It's a very practical That's the thing. thing. And it also stays clean, yep. easier than- a, He had, he wasn't wrong mm -hmm. at the same time that- doesn't mean I have to do it. That's This is what I'm talking about. It, it, you know, I'm talking about a white car, but that's what I mean about religion and yeah. that kind of thing. Your parents aren't wrong mm -hmm. in the church they go to or the political affiliation they have. It doesn't work for me. But it may not work for me. Yeah. And this, and so that's, that's my thing. With Todd, with the 330 Club, <laughs> with kids always have to be active, what he needed to unpack is why that was true in his family. And the reason it was true is because I sometimes came home to a volatile household and I would be, I would be able to avoid it if I was at uh, the park district gym and I'd be playing floor hockey or I would be playing football after school or I would be doing this and doing that. And I've translated that to, well, this is what you have to do because this is what'll keep you out of trouble and keep you happy and all that. And none of that is true. That's the story that I made up. That was the story of your childhood. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it was actually true yeah. in your childhood, which is I'm not going to go home at 3.30 because things could be volatile. So I'm going to stay active, busy, and out of the house as much as I can. You brought that into our family and applied it to our children who didn't have the same circumstances. Right. And meanwhile, like my daughters were waking up because the way the music program works, and I know we're, this might be a different road that we're going down, but they woke, the music program works before school. So they were already waking up an hour and a half before school. Yes. And then all of a sudden I was saying, you got to do something after school. And I didn't even realize that their, their instrument of choice was being done before school. Like I was so... Uh, set in my ways, I couldn't even see the obvious. Correct. You know and so I mean? they had already had an extra hour of school. So they had really done the full day right. like you used to, but you couldn't even put those right. together. So do you see why unpacking is not necessarily always about pain and harm? It's about self-awareness so you can see your kids clearly in their environment rather than apply your childhood environment to their life. Yeah. Um, so Todd, do the next one. Um, right. It's not the one I circled, but the last one. Yeah. And it's called CBT, DBT. And dry well. All right, here we go. Part of growing up is not needing the approval of your parents to be independent and whole. To be whole, people think if I go back to the scene of the original crime, my own childhood, and I get my mom or my dad, it's usually the mother, I hate to say, it's usually the mother, to say she's sorry, to get down on her knees and cry and hug me of that rapprochement, which sometimes does happen and it's magnificent. But if you keep going back to that well and it's dry and your mother or father says, I never did that, or you're being crazy, or, you know, get defensive, get angry, blame it on you, there's no healing there. And people keep returning to the scene of the original crime, to going back to that dry well to be filled up. Mm -hmm. And when you realize you're responsible for your own self-esteem, it's a very empowered place, that, the, that, that your thoughts are your 
your own now. The ones they put into your head, you can go to my new favorite combination of therapy is CBT, DBT. And DBT used to be the treatment for suicidal borderlines and managing feelings. But now it's very mainstream. And it's how do you tolerate the distress? And the CBT is how do you change the, the, the tape, flip the script in your brain from a negative critical to you're okay. There we go. Okay, so th- why I, I didn't wanted... understand half that stuff. Okay, way. well, let me bring this all together because okay. the reason I wanted to play that last clip is because it brings together everything we've talked about in this hour. First of all, what she's talking about is a lot of times in our adulthood, we keep trying to go back to our parents and have them maybe apologize oh, for yeah. what they did or what we didn't get. Got it. And our parents may not, not because they're bad people, but they may not see it the way we did. Like they may say, uh, you understand I had to work three jobs, right. so I couldn't be there when you got home from school. Or you understand, so they can't really sit there and go, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, why would I apologize for, I, I did my best, my best and I worked my tail off or maybe they didn't. Maybe they made a colossal mistake. Doesn't matter what it is. That's the thing is it can go both ways. It can be the the parent who really doesn't see it the same way and, and did their best from their heart. Or it could also be the parent that's still stuck in their anger who really is like, I'm not going to even look at this because you have no right to come say this to me. It doesn't matter which version of yeah. it is. We as adults sometimes go back to our parents and we keep trying to go, as she says, to this dry well to try and get something new as if we're going to like, and she said, you know, sometimes parents do recognize what they did or what they didn't do. And they say, I am so sorry. I didn't give you that. And she's like, that's a magical experience. But for the majority of us, we're looking for something our parents can't give us. Well, what's weird is sometimes people um, don't even ask for it. Like they'll just secretly resent them and not try to process it with that person. Or maybe they are trying to process it, but they keep going to this dry well where they're not doing it. So I just wonder, like, does anybody have anybody in their life where you can think of somebody or maybe it's you? And you keep on going to this dry well looking for... So I now appreciate that quote more than I did before. Yes. And so what she says is this is why it brings everything together is that instead of going to that dry well, maybe you give it a go at one point. You're like, you know, going through this midlife thing and you actually go to your parents and say, you know what? I didn't get this from you. And maybe there's a partial apology, but maybe there isn't. And and you're like, okay, that didn't really do what I thought it would do. So instead what I'm going to do... Um, and I don't even necessarily know that our parents owe us any apologies. Like that's not even it. Well, what it's about is is that what we get to decide once we're an adult is how am I going to take care of me? How am I going to reparent myself rather than keep going back to this place? Because our parents, some of them did really well. Some of them did not so well. Some of them had good days. Some of them had bad weeks. But to your point... And this may be unfair, but for some reason, the number 25 comes into my brain. Mm -hmm. When you turn 25, and there's exceptions, but your parents did the best they could. And maybe they did an awful job, but you could either sulk on that Mm -hmm. or you could move on and learn from it. I've said many times on this podcast, love my dad, love my mom when she was alive. Um, They weren't close to perfect, but they did the best they could. And I... Um, learned how to treat my wife, Kathy, based upon the mistakes that my dad made with my mom. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, that's the way I see it. And well, other people repeat that behavior of abuse in a relationship. I, it's weird, but I thank my dad for teaching me how not to be. I don't know. Absolutely. And what I call that, and it doesn't matter if you do it at 25, 30, 35, or 40. I mean, obviously the earlier, the better, but it doesn't work out that way for everybody. You know, sometimes midlife helps it come full circle, but is you get the opportunity to take responsibility for your life and you don't have to stay in victim mentality and, and, and live the way you lived when you were 17. You get to choose now. What am I going to pull from my childhood that worked and what am I going to let go of that didn't? And it's so much better and easier to go through that process before you start parenting, yeah. if possible. And it's in, I'm using the word process and practice on purpose because obviously it's not something that you heal and then you're like, okay, closed up, don't need to ever look at that again. It shows up a lot and you need to keep looking at it. But 
one of the things that she mentions is CBT and DBT and why they're so important. And for those of you who you, you may already know what these things are, but as a therapist, I can tell you that CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, is the process of recognizing our thoughts and how our thoughts contribute to our emotional response and how the way we think determines how we act. And so if we start questioning our thinking and you do this, you know, through a therapeutic intervention with a, you know, with your therapist or through mindfulness or through journaling, if you start questioning your thinking, then you can shift the way you think and focus on different things. And then that changes your behavior. And DBT is a dialectical, um, uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. I think I'm using that word right. Um, but basically that is very similar. It's a piece of CBT. It's part of CBT that used to be used more with people who had borderline personality disorder, or I heard about it a lot with uh, children. I, I studied it when I was working with adolescents because for kids who cut, who are self-harming or su suicidal ideation, a lot of times DBT is very helpful. And it's focused around not just changing their thoughts, but how they're triggered in certain emotional experiences and how they can recognize in this emotional experience, I am very easily triggered. And so giving, you know, almost like giving yourself a break, like yeah. this is a really hard situation. So when you get really reactive or you feel like cutting, or you feel like, you know, in borderline, it's about, you know, separating, like you're either good or you're bad. It's to recognize what's happening right now. And, uh, DBT also uses a lot of group therapy and you have a, the relationship with your therapist is really primary. So she's talking about these as interact as you know, intervention tools that yeah. they are clinical tools that can be used if you have a therapist and how, again, it's everything we talk about on the show, shifting the way you think and the way that you view things and, and letting go of what you don't need and forgiving people because something happened in the past, it frees you up to make your own choices in your life and to feel good about who you are and to reparent yourself and take care of yourself rather than looking externally for everyone to validate who you are. Mm -hmm. You were going to play something? I, I am. It's uh, kind of a um, tangential, but you talk about CBT and DBT yeah. and about initials and it reminded me of a funny scene from Good Morning <laughs> Vietnam. Do you know the scene I want to play? No. Uh, Bruno Kirby is like the sergeant guy. He's uh -huh. the authority figure. I think uh -huh. it's Bruno Kirby, right? I haven't you seen Good know. Morning Vietnam and, in a long and time. And Robin Williams is in it. So there's this really funny scene where Bruno Kirby loves to use all these different um, acronyms. acronyms mm -hmm. And then Robin Williams does one too. So now Perhaps you'd like to share it with the rest of us. No, sir. The former vice president is a delight, sir. Excuse me, sir. Seeing as how the VP is such a VIP... Shouldn't we keep the PC on the QT? Because if it leaks to the VC, you can end up an MIA, and then we'd all be put on KP. <laughs> and it's true. And you know, and this is something that I, when therapists are talking to each other, there's a lot of jargon used, and you have to be, you know, thoughtful about that. Acronyms aren't, you know, they're not accessible to everybody. Our acronyms, like, because they're prevalent in the industry that I belong to, uh -huh. PCI. Yeah. I, I think every industry is of heavy course. on the acronyms. Everybody right? has jargon. Whatever business you're in or whatever study you're in, there are acronyms. And, and when you are, like, living in them and marinating in them all the time, you assume everybody knows what you're talking about. Right. Which is why I wanted to take the time to talk about what CBT and DBT are. Thank you are, for doing that. Because they are important. But the, the thing about this, you know going back to taking care of yourself and reparenting yourself is when you do that, when you are feel as if you're finally getting your bearings of I'm a whole human being and I no longer have to look outside myself for my, for my mom or my dad or my teacher or my coach to say, yes, you're good enough. When I can find that in myself, then I can help my child yeah. live in that way. If I'm constantly needing external validation or I'm constantly trying to appease my own parents, how am I going to parent my child to be a whole human being? Because yes. what they're watching is me. Is, 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 is a less than than deserving version of yourself. Correct. And so that's the thing is the role modeling that we're doing. And it doesn't mean you have to do it perfectly. Because like I said, we're all kind of, to me, when we talk about healing wounds, that's an ongoing process. We don't, you know, it's like we're always going to have a scar there. There's yeah. always going to be a trigger there. There's always going to be an issue. Like I can still, so many things I've worked through for years, if I read something or hear something or Todd says something to me, like my thing uh, one of the things that I can say I struggle with a lot is 
when I don't feel like I'm being heard, I get really reactive to it. And I know it. I'm aware of it. And I'm very... Are you aware of it the minute that it happens or a few seconds or a minute later? The emotion comes up first. I have the cellular memory of I'm not being heard. And then I usually get frustrated and I have like kind of shut down, like, ugh, and I get angry. But then, you know, the lag time between that and me understanding what's happening, like, you know, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, how there was, for some reason, we had these back-to-back occurrences where I was telling you a story that was meaningful to me. It may not have been to you. And I have to honor that, that maybe you were bored to death, but I was telling you something meaningful to me and you kept interrupting my conversation. I did. So what that makes me feel, even though this wasn't your intention, is you don't care what I have to say or that what I say doesn't have value. And that's a trigger for me. Mm -hmm. So even though you're like, this is no big deal, I'm just trying to deviate to another story, that hurts me. Well, and I think a lot of it has to do with the timing because you and I have talked a lot and... Um, you know, obviously you're more verbal than I am. And I have said to you like, Hey man, if I don't interrupt you, I'm going to forget what I have to say by the time you're done talking. And we've, we've laughed about it. Right. And then there's other times when you're in, and to your point, I don't know that you're in this meaningful story. I, I, whether it's right or it's wrong, sometimes I don't know where you are emotionally or how important the story is. And I'll interrupt you in the same way I did a week ago and the, a week ago is fine and this time it's not, but that's the thing, you know, I have to be better at reading a situation and understanding where you are in that moment. You, on your side, you're reading it and you may or may not. And on my side, it's recognizing that maybe what happened isn't that huge of a deal. Mm-hmm. And, but because this is, I've never done, you know, I've obviously um, done DBT with people, meaning me as a therapist, but I don't really think I've had... I've never been on the client side of that, but I can take the information from DBT and understand that that is a trigger for me. Mm -hmm. So when I'm in that emotional situation to really be like, okay, I am upset about this right now and I may need a little break from it, but then recognizing why that bothered me rather than say, isn't Todd a jerk? See, because that's what we do is we push it outside and we say that person caused my pain. Sometimes that's real. If someone literally physically harmed you or is emotionally abusive, but sometimes it's someone just going through their path. Well, and I will own my side of it. I think whenever anything bad happens, it's usually two sides to everything. Of course. I remember exactly where we were the last time this happened. We walked Skylar to school. Uh-huh. We we cut across where the new houses were, uh-huh. and I inter- interrupted you, and you uh-huh. were telling me a story. I don't remember what it was at the uh-huh. time, but I know for a fact I was not present at all yeah. for me even to evaluate whether or not you were telling me something that was a little bit more meaningful to you. Yeah. So I need to own my side Correct. of it in that I had no, I I was kind of floating on yeah. that walk home and I was not present at all. I was not engaged with you at all. And, and your side of it is, you know, trying to catch yourself like, oh, why am I projecting my anger on top? You know, it's both. It's both. And you know? that's, and that is what I mean about, you know, going back to being a parent with our kids, what do we want our kids to know? What do we want them to experience in life? And there's no way to protect them from every pain. There's no way to protect, We, you know, they're going to fail. They're going to, but it's their ability to understand themselves and what they can do and yeah. how they can show up in the world. And so we have to demonstrate that to them, not just through the behavior that they're watching, but our relationship with them, how we communicate with them. Are we taking responsibility? Like, you know, like you were just saying, I was taking responsibility for my part and you're like, okay, and here's, here's the part where, where I recognize what if we did that in conversation with our kids, then they would own their part. Like I, and, and, you know, again, with my own girls, there's so many situations where I see them feeding back to me what I've fed to them. And I'm saying that in a positive way. Like I'll see, you know, my daughter just came up to me the other day and she's like, here's that $20 that you lent me a week ago. I never ended up using it. And you know, I owe it back to you. Now I know you guys might say, well, that's no big deal. That is a big deal because I gave her money. I'd completely forgotten about it. And she took responsibility for it, understood that it wasn't hers, that it was for a certain occasion that didn't occur. And she gave it back. And that's something that I would do with them. You know, my example of that is I, whether it's right or it's wrong, I, 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 I feel connected to my kids uh, by making their lunches. And some people are like, dude, why are you making your lunches? Your kids are too old. They can make their own lunch. Hey man, I, it's well. And and, sometimes they do, especially when you're gone. Do. Yeah, but uh, sometimes they don't eat what I make for them, 
And I just think, uh, I rewind to my own childhood, that if I did that, I would throw away what I didn't eat just so I wouldn't have to hear my mom or my dad or my grandma, you know, freak out saying, how come you're not eating your lunch? These kids have no fear of me in Mm -hmm. that regard. And in a way, I'm proud of that. Like, I'm glad they're not trying to be deceptive in, in throwing away their lunch just so they don't have to deal with me. Well, they feel as if they can explain to you and that you will understand. And that's the key. It's not about you're using that word fear. You're right. They, of course they don't fear you. They feel as if you're a, a human being who can hear them and that you may say, dude, you didn't eat your lunch. And they'll explain why. Cause like Cameron had a really good reason. She goes, you know, we ate in my Spanish class and then we ate. So I wasn't hungry at lunch. Okay. That makes sense. You're a rational human being rather than a, an emotional flying off the handle. Who's like, I made this for you and I do this for you. That that's, you're not present then for what's right. really happening. So the bottom line is with, you know, obviously, you know, bringing this full circle with Dr. Berman is that um, if we have ownership of who we are, if we have permission to be ourselves, if we take ownership for our stuff and recognize that we are, that we can be self-loving and that we can take care of ourselves, then we can show up for our children as whole human beings. We can parent them. We can set limits and boundaries and still remain connected. And it's not always perfect, but it's the best version. It's it's the place we want to go, whatever that, you know what I mean? It's like the place I'm always shooting for is having, you know, a a connection with my children and at the same time recognizing that I'm not their best friend. I'm not the one that they're like, Hey, you know, I mean, we do go to movies together and stuff sometimes, but of course I want them to, to view me as their parent, you know, but I also want them to view me as somebody who is rational and loving and who's someone who knows how to take care of herself and them. Um, so it's got a lot to do with relationships. So in closing, can I close? Um, Two things, Team Zen, Zen Talk, this Friday, we'd love to have you. Go to our website and sign up. You get a free month, so go ahead and do that. Our our partner this week is Jeremy Kraft. He runs a company called Avid Company, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. So if you have a project coming up, give him a call or shoot him or check out his website, avidco.net, or his cell number is 630-956-1800. He is a bald-headed beauty. Um, so that's all about all I have. Do you have anything else, my darling? No, I think that is about it. All right. Uh, happy Tuesday or whatever day you're listening to this. And we, oh, we have a interview this week with, I wrote, why are, why are women so tired? A talk with Karen Brody, so author good. of Daring to Rest. That's this Friday. So be sure to tune in. All right, guys. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate you. Remember, you can subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask Kathy and I questions live. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page. We have a book club and get discounts on everything that we have to offer. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. Guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? I have good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You choose. First session is free. And if you're in Chicagoland, contact me about the tribe. It's a men's group, and it's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by going through the Amazon link under Support Us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you a thing, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Finally, I want to give special thanks to our two foundation partners, the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thank you for your love and support and keep on trucking.